So we're starting a brand new series today called Clutter. Now, when I say that word, I know that there is uh, some type of response, emotional response going on in your heart, because I know you know what clutter is. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't really know what you're talking about. Well, what's, what's clutter? Let me give you a, a definition from the dictionary of what clutter is, and I, I don't think we need this, but it, maybe we'll go back to this from time to time, but clutter is a disorderly heap. A dis- I love that. A disorderly heap. Do you have any of those in your house? <laughs> a disorderly heap or a state or condition of confusion because clutter can be in your head, can't it? <laughs> you ever have, we, we talk about, oh, her, his mind is cluttered or her mind is cluttered. Clutter. We feel it, don't we? I think when it comes to clutter, all of us have a relationship with clutter. Do you agree? We relate to it in some way, shape, or form. I think, there's, I think every single one of us fall into one of four categories when it, when it, when it comes to clutter. There's this first category of uh, people that despise clutter. They hate clutter, so they chase it away. There's no clutter in their lives whatsoever. You look into their homes, everything's organized, everything's in its right spot. You go into their garage, and there's little outlines for their tools. You know people like this, right? <laughs> Don't you hate them? Yeah. You do, right? These people are O-C-D. Yeah, they, they can't stand clutter. They have to clean it up. You know, you invite these people over your house, and within 10 minutes, they're like cleaning your house up. It's unbelievable, you know? And you're like, would you just sit down and shut up and just enjoy yourself? Anyway, now maybe you haven't had that experience. But, you know, there's, some, there's that one category, you hate clutter. And then there's this other category. I think 80% of us uh, fall into this category. We, we don't like clutter, but it, it just kicks our butt. I mean, it just, it just defeats us. You know, you, you hate it, so you clean, you clean your closet up, and two weeks later, it looks the same. Or maybe it's your car or, or, or the, the, the counters on the, in the kitchen. It's like, man, I, a week ago, I totally organized this, and now it's, it's just a disaster again. And I think many of us live in that. I, I would say 80% of us probably live in that category. Yes or no? Just don't, you don't like it, but it just keeps happening. How does it happen? I don't know. You know, it's, things get cluttered. And then there's this other group of people that... You bring up clutter, and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, everything's great. You know, and then you, you push in a little bit, and they're like, and this is what they say. Tell me if I'm wrong. I know where everything is. <laughs> How do you know that? It's because you, there's some of you that it's like, well, I don't see any clutter. I, it's fine with me. And so there's a category. I don't know how many people fit in that category. Maybe you do. And then there's this other category of people. That, that it's funny. They, they, they're okay with it as long as they can hide it. <laughs> I think it's great. You know, it's like, you know, it's like Monica on Friends. You remember the show Friends? I can't even believe I have to say that. Do you remember the show Friends? I mean, it's unbelievable. We're getting old, right? So Monica, she had everything in order, but she had this one closet that no one was allowed to go into, not even her husband, right? So, and it's like, so you have that, that room or that drawer or that spot that no one's allowed to go into, and it's because, you know, it's, you're embarrassed for whatever, you know. So I don't know what category you fit into, but we all have a relationship with clutter, don't we? Now, it, recently I read a book called Essentialism, that was recommended by a guy named Michael Hyatt, who used to be the CEO for Thomas Nelson Publishers. You may have a Bible that's published by Thomas Nelson Publishers. I used to work for Thomas Nelson Publishers when I first got out of college. And, and I thought, he said, Michael Hyatt said, this is one of the top 10 books he's read in a long time. So I was like, whoa. That's, so I picked it up. I started reading it. And basically the idea behind the book is how to help people move to the next level in their life. And, he, and the, the idea behind the whole book is if you focus on what is essential, 
instead of everything else in your life, then you can really become or make an impact with your life. And so in the book, he uses the metaphor of a closet. He says, basically, our lives can become cluttered much like... (laughs) Much, I don't know if you keep a basketball in your closet, but I do. Much like, the, you know, uh, you know our, our, our lives can end up looking like a cluttered closet. In, in your notes, in fact, in your, it, the, your first fill in there is that in the same way that our closets can get cluttered, so can our lives. Does your, does your life resemble this in any way, shape, or form? Just so much stuff crammed in there, just going 100 miles an hour and going different directions. Anybody? Now, here's the thing. There's reasons why our closets get cluttered, aren't there? Like, we don't put stuff where stuff belongs. Anybody struggle with that? We're in a hurry, so we, we go in our closet, we rip something off, we throw it over, we grab something else, and we're out of there, right? Because we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. That's a big one for me. I, I don't put stuff away when I should. My wife tells me I need to do that more, and uh, honey, I, I'll try. And so, you know, we don't put stuff where stuff goes, and, and we don't have a system to get rid of stuff. Yesterday, I went to Kohl's. I had some Kohl's cash. My wife gave me Kohl's cash. Unbelievable. What a gift. Thank you, honey. So I went there, and I got, these, I got some new shoes, and, and see, these are them right there. Sweet, right? You like it? You know, cheap, you know, they're on sale, $31 or whatever. So I use the Kohl's cash. I get home. I show the shoes to my wife. And she says, well, you're going to throw a couple pairs out. It's like, are you sick? <laughs> throw shoes out? Like, what? So we don't get rid of stuff. Like, we hang on to stuff. Like, I, I have a sweater in my, my, uh, my closet that's from 1995. I kid you not. It was when Abra, Crombie, and Fitch came out, and they had all those $60, $70 sweaters, and there's a big deal, and they're all puffy, and they're turtlenecks, and it's like, how could you throw away a $60? I never wear it. Never wear it. You have stuff in your closet you never wear. Of course you do, because you're attached to it. Oh, somebody gave it to you, or you, one day maybe you might wear it, or it might, it might come back in style. <laughs> I have, a, I have like five or six really baggy pairs of jeans. Remember when baggy jeans were in? And like, I can't get rid of them because one day, you know, it's, it might be baggy again. I don't know. So, so you know, so we don't get rid of stuff. Like, there's reasons why our closets get cluttered, aren't there? Well, in the same way that there's reasons our closets get cluttered, there's reasons why our lives get cluttered. And that's what we want to talk about in this series. How is it, or what are the reasons that our lives get cluttered? Now, some of you might be thinking, I don't know if my life is cluttered. I, I'm not sure if this, you know... Is this series really going to be something helpful to me? And I just want to ask you a few questions. I guarantee this is going to help, be helpful because this is real life stuff. Have you ever felt like you just feel overwhelmed by all the stuff you have to do? Like you're spread so thin you can't get it all done. Anybody? Yes or no? This series is for you. Have you ever felt like when you look at all the stuff that you have to do, like, and, and, and you look at it and you, and you freeze and you feel paralyzed because you don't know what to do first? Anybody? This series is for you. Have you ever felt like you're busy, but you're not being productive? This series is going to be for you. Have you ever felt like, man, uh, five years have gone by, and, and, and this marriage, and this career, and, and my, my, my 401k, it's, it's not progressing like I, it ought to be, or I'm not, getting, I'm not in the shape I want to be in. Have you ever felt like you're not making the progress that you thought you would have made by now? Then this, this series is for you. You know, one of the big things that I, I, that, that I realize when my life gets cluttered and I'm going in way too fast and I start misplacing stuff. <laughs> Anybody else? It's like, now where are my keys? Where is my phone? Like, where is my wallet? Where is this? Where is that? The other day I went to CVS because I was so excited. Uh, I, know, I get excited about little things sometimes. Anybody else? I found this body wash that, that also functions as a shampoo. I was so excited. 
it's like a big deal for me because two in one, it's this amazing invention. I know it's been out for a while, but for me, it's a big deal. And so I went to CVS just to get this. I even told my wife. My wife gave me a strange look like, what? It's like, oh, it's excited. It smells good. So I go there, $6.99 at CVS for this, for this combo body wash shampoo, and I'm excited to go to LA Fitness and work out and all this stuff, use it, you know, in my shower there. But, you know, we, we, I was so busy, and I'm go, 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 and do, 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 and I got to be here, and I got to be there. I forgot the blasted stuff in the shower. <laughs> so I go home, and I'm like, honey, have you seen my body wash? You know, I've only used it twice so far. Like, I just got it, and everything's like, no, I haven't seen it. And I remembered, I left it at the gym, and... And so I was so disturbed. Yesterday, I had a busy, really busy day. I had an elders meeting in the morning. My son had a game on the north side. We're going all these different directions. Had to prepare for this talk. And somehow, in between all of the busyness, I stopped by LA Fitness. I went by, I went by. I said, hey, uh, uh, can I check the lost and found? Uh, do you have any body wash in there? <laughs> you know, it's combo deal, shampoo, body wash. And Oh, we have to, so she checked, lady checked, and then I went, I even went back and I checked all of the, I checked, I checked all of the showers and I checked all of the, the lockers and, and I was just going crazy looking for this, looking for this shampoo. It's like, am I a loser? Seriously, just tell me, is that, do you do stuff like that? It's because, you know, here's the deal. Honestly, my life, when, I can tell when my life is cluttered when I start misplacing stuff. If, if you do that, listen, this, this series is for you. Now, this series is not going to be about how to get your closets cleaned out. This is going to be about how to get your life focused. See, there's a lot of downsides to having a cluttered life, but I think the, the biggest downside is in your notes, just the way I wrote it. When, when we live a cluttered life, or a cluttered life prevents us from making our greatest contribution, that's what is driving this series, that when my life is spread out and spread too thin and I'm overwhelmed and I don't know what to do and I've said yes to way too many things, way too many opportunities, way too many commitments, I fail to do the very things that God has called me to do well. You with me? See, God has called you to make a contribution. I have a, a, a concrete conviction about this in my own life and in your life. Where does it come from? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us this. For verse 10, sorry. For we are God's handiwork, his workmanship, his, his work of art, in other words, created in Christ Jesus to do, say it with me, good works. That he prepared in advance, ahead of time, that we should discover them and execute, that we should walk in them, that we should perform them. There are things that God has created you to do on this earth. You are not here wasting space and sucking air, and then someday you die, and then it's over. That's not your life. He's created you with a specific purpose to do specific things, to make a specific contribution. And, but when our lives are cluttered, and when we're going a hundred different directions and a million miles an hour, and we've said yes to way too many stuff, too much stuff, we fail to do the very things that we're called to do. You know, God's called you to do different things than he, than he has for me. You know, he's called me to be a pastor and a husband and a father and some, some of these different things. You know, I'm not a politician. Some of you are called into politics to create laws and to help people get elected. Some of you are called to educate people, students, you know, and that's a different calling than me. And some of you are called to, 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 to work in law, and some of you are called to work in the, in, in the law enforcement, and we all have different callings in our life. Whatever you're, I'm, this, this series is not going to be about, hey, this is what you should do. I don't know necessarily what your good works are. Now, here's what I can tell you based on last week, is that you are called to make disciples, 
That's that, but, but there's a lot more to life than just that, right? We have to, we work, we, we have a life, we have, we're fathers, we're parents, we're mothers, we do different things, right? I don't know what that looks like for you. This series is not going to be about, hey, here's what you should do. I'm not going to preach to you about what you should be doing, okay? That's a unique calling in your life. I'm going to, this series is real about how can you organize or, or work your life or fix your life in such a way that you can do that very thing well. That's what this series is all about. You can make, so that you can make your greatest contribution. See, in the book, Essentialism, McEwen gives this graphic. When I saw it, it gripped me. And it's in your notes there. It's, it, this is a picture of what happens when our lives are cluttered. We're stretched, we're pulled in many different directions, and our energy is going out. And because we have limited energy, we cannot go very far in any one direction because we're cluttered. But what would happen if you focused in your life And you got really clear on the essential things and only what is most important. And you poured all of your energy and all of your time and all of your resources into a few key areas. Something tells me that you would end up making your greatest contribution. How did Michael Phelps win six gold medals? You ever read his story? His whole life was focused in on preparing for that very moment. I'm talking about his schedule, his diet, his money, the way his parents parented. Everything was focused, and he ended up making an incredible contribution. It was Alexander Graham Bell, who was credited for the invention of the telephone, who said this, Concentrate all your thoughts upon the work at hand, because the sun's rays do not burn until they come into focus. This is actually a picture of the first phone call from Chicago to New York. Isn't that fascinating? What he said is true. You know, when I was a little kid, I had a friend on the playground show me how it worked. He had a magnifying glass, and he was able to catch, catch the sun's rays. This fascinated me. And, and he was able to catch the sun's rays, and, and then he pointed it at, at some leaves on the ground. And sure enough, after, you know, he wiggled it a little bit, he got it focused in, the leaves began to burn, a little dark spot. I was, I was just a little kid, and I was, and so I started to do it, and, and we started to burn leaves together, and then we started to burn bugs no, we, did, we didn't do that. We didn't do that because that's like, like what serial murderers do, you know. <laughs> so we didn't end up killing anything. But, but man, we burned a lot of leaves because it was, just, it was fascinating to me that you could, you could harness the sun's rays. And, and they were so focused that they would actually become almost like a laser and bur- burn up the leaves. You know, our lives can become that way. We can get so focused in that we can have an incredible impact. Does that sound attractive to you? I want, I want to make the largest contribution with my life that I can make. It's not going to happen. If I'm pulled in a hundred different directions, if you are pulled in a hundred different directions. So this series is about decluttering your life so you can make your greatest contribution. You know, one of the big causes that, that, that uh, one of the big reasons that our lives end up looking like this closet is this belief that we can do it all. A cluttered life comes from this this belief that as Americans, we can have it all and we can do it all. Will will you be honest enough to admit that that this is a belief that you have? Maybe it's in your subconscious. Maybe you hold it. You've never really acknowledged it. But as Americans, this is, I mean, come on. This is is the country where we're free to pursue life, liberty, and and happiness, right? Like, Like we're supposed to be able to do everything. You turn the television on and all the advertisements tell us you can have, go on this cruise, and you can have this car, and you can live here, and you can do this, and you can do whatever you want. There's no limits in America, right? Isn't that why everybody wants to live here and they want to come to America? Because you can become whatever you want and you can have whatever you want. 
We believe this in our hearts. And when we believe that we can do it all, we end up saying yes to everything, don't we? Because there's this belief that we can somehow squeeze everything into the closets of our life. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The closet isn't, isn't, the closet's only got so much room in it. And so we end up cramming and cramming and cramming things into our life because we believe that we can do it all. We believe that we can write a book and have a great family and raise great kids and get them on the honor roll and keep them away from all the evil in the world. And we can, on top of that, we can have maybe get our master's degree and start a blog and keep the grass green and cut and have two pets and go on the vacations, maybe a cruise. And I mean, don't we? get the new model car and every seven years get a new house and just keep going and we just we just it's like well doesn't everybody else do that you know we get on Facebook and we look at everybody's photos and we're like oh look where they went we could do that too <laughs> oh look so-and-so started a blog I can do that too or so-and-so did this and we just so there's comparisons and there's pressure and the culture tells us this and then on top of that all that we have technology that tells us that there's an app for that <laughs> it's like oh you'd like to do that well you can get the app and the app will just help you do that and so there, now there's no excuses. Well, there, you have the tools, you have the technology, you should be able to do whatever you want. Then there's the whole reality behind being single. Many, how many of you are single today? You're not married. Yeah, even if you're in a relationship, you're still single. <laughs> if you're not married. <laughs> and so, you know, there's that whole idea that, that uh, well, you're single. You know, you don't have a spouse. You can go where you want to go and you don't have to answer anybody. And you have no kids. Ooh, what's, up? What, what's the matter with you? <laughs> You don't have any children. What are you doing with all your time? You should be able to do it all. Commit, commit, commit. Say yes, say yes. So there's pressure there. There's expectations. And there's lots of reasons why we believe that we can have it all and do it all. And when we believe that, I'm telling you, we overcommit. And our lives begin to look like a cluttered closet. And we go in a hundred different directions and we make very little progress what would happen if we began to declutter our lives and focus in our lives? Something tells me I believe that we would be able to make the greatest contribution. So that's what I want to talk to you about in this series. I'm going to give you two ideas today that are going to help us overcome this idea that we can do it all. The first one is this. You must accept, I must accept the reality of limits. The reality of limits. For some reason, we despise, resent limits in our own life and limits in the lives of other people, don't we? We don't like to be told we can't do something or we don't have time for something. But if you really think about life, God has built limitations into our everyday lives. Think about our resources. You don't have unlimited resources, do you? Not even Warren Buffett has unlimited resources. How about you know, Bill Gates? Can Bill Gates solve the $17 trillion debt that this country has? No, because his money is, is limited in the billions. Now, he's got a lot of money, but he can't solve America's uh, trillion-dollar debt situation. See, everyone has limited resources. Our Congress needs to understand that, because the, and because they don't, they keep printing money. See, it doesn't work that way, and so that's going to get us into a lot of trouble. It already has. There's, there's a limitation in our resources. There's a limitation in our time. Nobody has all the time in the world. We all have 24 hours in a day. After about 16 hours, we're getting pretty sleepy. we got to go to bed. Have you ever noticed that? God has built that into our lives to communicate something to us. We are not God. You must go to sleep. It's incredible. But, but we don't like to admit the reality of limitations. What about talent? I mean, think about it. How much can you really do? It's kind of humbling when you think about it. 
And it, for me, I mean, it, there's, there's a whole lot of things that I can't do. I told you a story a couple weeks ago that my wife fixed the dryer. I couldn't fix the dryer. I don't have that talent. <laughs> See, and so I just admit it. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. It's very much, there's very few things that I can actually do. <laughs> and so I kind of stay in that area. <laughs> I try not to get out of those areas, right? So there's limitations to our talent. There's limitations to our intelligence. Like, how much do you really know? Seriously, about all the wisdom and knowledge in the world, how much of it do you actually know? Isn't it true that what you don't know far outweighs what you do know? Yes or no? Yes or no? That ought to humble us, right? And say, wow, well, yeah, I don't know a whole lot. See, there's limitations. There's, lim there's limited energy. You don't have all the energy in the world. There's limitations to your location. Like right now, there's a service going on over at uh, Obanta and over at Franklin. I'm not there, but I'm there on a screen. Why? Because there's, there's, <laughs> there's limitations to where I can be at one place at one time, right? There's, there's limitations built into our lives. You know what's amazing? Jesus, the Son of God, who did not have to live within limitations because he was God. He chose most of the time to live within limitations. Now, sometimes he'd walk on water and do some cool stuff like that and, you know, walk through walls. And so there were times where he busted out of his humanity and, and did some crazy stuff. But most of the time he lived within his limitations. In fact, the first day on the job, when I say on the job, when he started his ministry, okay, he, he, he got up, he went to the temple with his, with his little posse there, he started preaching a sermon. And he was preaching so well that everybody's like, man, this guy's got some authority. And everybody started listening in. He was in a place called Capernaum, a little town called Capernaum. Right in the middle of his sermon, this demon-possessed guy comes into, uh, into the temple and starts disrupting things. And, and Jesus just zaps him. Like, he's just like, cast the demon out. Now, if that happened right now, I'd run backstage because I don't know how to mess with demons right now. I'm just not having advanced that far in my walk. But Jesus, man, he was on it. He zapped the guy. Demon left him. I mean, everybody's like, whoa, not only does he preach awesome, but he's got power over demons and all this other stuff. And so wraps up the sermon, leaves the temple. They go to Peter's mother-in-law's house. And when, she, when they get there, Peter's mother-in-law is really sick. You can read this whole chapter, Mark chapter one, when you get home. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. So Jesus does his thing. Whatever he does, heals her. She gets better. And and his boys are like, wow, this is incredible. So they go out in town. They get all the sick people, and they bring them to Peter's mother-in-law's house. And so Jesus starts healing one after another after another. Anybody has got a disease or a sickness, right? The whole town comes to watch. What an incredible first day on the job. You agree? I mean, this is a great start. Momentum. Everybody's excited. So they wrap up the day. They go to sleep. Next morning, Jesus gets up. He goes off to a solitary place to pray. He's by himself. His Posse gets up, his disciples get up, they don't find him, so they go out to look for him. When they find him, watch what they say in verse 37. When they found Jesus, they said, everybody's looking for you. You, the man, you speak so well. You can cast out demons. You, when you touch people, they get healed. Why did you, we couldn't find you. Let's go. We, there's people that you didn't heal last night. There's people who didn't hear your sermon. We have momentum. Like, let's go back to the people, right? Listen to what Jesus says. It's fascinating. Next thing he says in verse 38. Jesus says to his, his boys, let's go on. Let's leave this place. Let's get out of this town and go on to the next town so that I can preach to them also, because this is why I came. Now, if I was one of the boys, 
I'd be like, Jesus, like, you got this all wrong. See, you just created a whole bunch of momentum. I mean, you got this. You got Capernaum. You got it stirred up. Listen, the crowds are coming. You, I, there's another sermon in you. We got more people that need to be healed. We, 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 need to, we need to set up a tent revival. Like, we need to get everybody. Like, we, this is just getting started. We can't leave. There's people you didn't touch last night. That's what I would have said. And if I were Jesus, I'd have been like, you're right. Like, this, is, this could be a thing. Like, this could be base camp. Like, Jesus, like, little, like, headquarters. Like, this is a great start last night. We could, we could run every, all of our operations out of Capernaum, and everybody could come to us. And that's what I believe. My leadership mind thinks that way, at least. Right? Jesus says, now, now see, we're going we're gonna to leave. And I just think about all the people he didn't touch in that town. All the work he left undone. Can I just tell, this is fascinating to me. Maybe it's just because I'm a pastor. Jesus didn't touch everyone. He didn't preach to everybody. He didn't solve all the problems. He didn't even get into the politics of the day. We get all riled up because of politics. And Donald Trump. And Hillary Clinton. And what's going to happen? There was a lot of political unrest back in these days. Jesus didn't even touch it. Didn't even speak to it. Didn't solve any of it. And in John chapter 17, listen to what he says. Incredible. I brought glory to you, Father. He's prayer. He's praying to his Father. I brought glory to you on earth by finishing the work. Well, Jesus, you didn't do everything. You didn't fix the political problems. You didn't heal all the people. You didn't fix all the problems with the poor and the, the people who didn't have food and the people who didn't have water. There's so much work that you didn't do. How, how could you say that you finished the work? See, here's, here's, here's just the idea. Here's the idea. It's like you can't do it all. You can't do it all. Do you, need to, you need to say that to yourself. Because some of you are so convinced that, oh, I could do it all. Not even Jesus did it all. In, the, in, in Psalm chapter 19, verse 12, the psalmist says this. <clears throat> Teach us to realize the brevity of life. That there's, only, there's a limited amount of time that I have so that I might grow in wisdom. Years ago, when I was in my 20s, I can't believe that, it was years ago. I'd go golfing with friends and, and uh, man, I could, just, I could just crush the ball off the tee box and the only problem was it'd be like two fairways over. <laughs> and I would have friends of mine that were pretty decent golfers, and they'd say, oh, don't worry. By the time you're in your 30s, mid-30s, late-30s, you're going to straighten all that out. You're going to be an incredible golfer because you can hit it really long. That was somewhat encouraging, right? Here I am, 38 years old. You know what happens on the golf course? The same exact thing. But this is, it's not as long, it's shorter, but it still goes over two fairways. <laughs> because here's, what, here's what's true about golf, and if you know golf, you have, you have to play. You have to practice. The problem is, is that that's four hours and about $35 every time. And so and I had to make a decision in my life. I have a limited amount of time. My kids are young, limited amount of resources, limited amount of time. Am I going to spend Saturdays and Fridays on the golf course 
so that I can straighten that thing out, so that I can lower my score. It didn't happen. It's never going to happen. <laughs> you see? Because when you realize that you only have so much time and you only have so much money, the, the, the priorities come to the surface. What's most important comes to the surface. And for me in my life, that's my family and my children and what my children are involved in. So I have a stinky golf score, and I'm okay with that. What do you need to be okay with? You can't do it all, right? Something is going to give in your life. So number one, accept the reality of trade-offs. Number two, you have to accept the reality I'm sorry, number one, accept the reality of limitations or limits. Number two, accept the reality of trade-offs. Trade-offs. What a massive idea this is. What is a trade-off? A trade-off is very similar to embracing your limits. It's just maybe worded a different way. A trade-off is this right here. It means that saying yes to something requires that you say no to something else. That's what it means. Andy Stanley wrote a book called Choosing to Cheat. Fantastic little book. I, I encourage everybody who has a job and a family to read it. In the book, he basically says, look, you, we've got a lot of things, important things in our life. And because of the reality that, that if you say yes to something else, it means you're not going to be able to do some, this, this thing over here, someone's going to lose. And so the, the idea behind choosing to cheat is, who are you going to cheat? Someone's going to feel cheated. Your wife, your husband's going to feel cheated, your kids are going to feel cheated, or the boss is going to feel cheated, or you're going to feel cheated. You have to choose who you're going to cheat because you can't do it all. In the book, he actually says this. I love this idea. When you consider the limited number of hours in a day, there's no way, there's no way you can reach your potential in all those areas. There's just not enough time. There's, there's a trade-off. See, the people who don't understand this reality are the people that say, yes, I could be at the birthday party, and I could also go to the Pacer game. Can you? Can you show up at the, at the birthday party and go to the pastry game? Some people live their lives like this. And so these are the people that say they're going to come to something and they don't show up. Does anybody have anybody in their life like that? Well, where's Jimmy? Well, I don't, he's not here. Maybe you're Jimmy because you said yes and you said yes because you're living in this de delusional world that you think you could do both at the same time. <laughs> And you can't. If you say yes to A, you can also do B. There's a trade-off to it. Does that make sense? This is a huge concept. You know, in the Bible, there's a great story that captures the tension of this. Because oftentimes, it's not, it's not the, the, the choice between what to do is not the choice between two, a good choice and an evil choice. It's usually a, a good choice and a good choice, right? And that's what makes this very, very hard. We have two good options. But there's a story that kind of captures this tension in, in Luke chapter 10. It's the story of Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha have, are friends with Jesus, and Jesus comes into town one day, and uh, Mary and Martha invite him into their home. And it must have been spur of the moment because they really weren't ready for him. And, and both of these sisters make different choices. I want you to see what Mary chooses first. Mary sat down at the Lord's feet, and she chose to listen to his teaching, to listen to his words, because, they, because Jesus had the words of life. He was the master teacher, right? So Mary just sits down and says, look, he's here. The most important thing for me to do is listen to his words. Martha, on the other hand, chooses to do something else. Watch what she chooses to do. Martha was distracted by the big dinner, which she was preparing for who? Yeah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes to your house, and most of us would agree that it's time to cook a meal. 
Do you agree with this? And get the house in order and everything else. You got to get the best meat. You got to get the best, you know, side dishes. And there's a lot of work to do when someone shows up unannounced, especially if it's Jesus, you know, the creator of the universe. (laughs) So she gets real busy, real quick trying to serve. Now, is there anything wrong with serving Jesus? We talk about serving Jesus all the time in this church. Grab a towel, sign up. In the announcement, we just talked about being on the host team. We talk about serving Jesus all the time. Is there anything wrong with serving Jesus? Yes or no? No. Martha, Martha gets a little bit wonky here. Watch what happens. She goes to Jesus and she says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair, unjust that (laughs) to you that my lazy sister... (laughs) While I'm doing all this work, she just sits there. Would you just tell her to get up off of her rear end and help me cook some of this food? Now, that's where things got weird, like, right? All that stuff that gets going on in her heart. Listen to what Jesus says to Martha. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over lots of details. Let me, let me just inform you what, what, what the reality is, what the best option is here. So your sister Mary, watch what he says here. There's only one thing worth being concerned about at this moment, Martha. And Mary's discovered it. And and this will not be removed from her, taken away from her. You see, Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, said it really well. He said, the enemy of the best is often the good. Martha didn't choose a bad option. She just didn't choose the best option. Jesus says there's one thing that comes first, and that is making sure that you and I are walking together intimately. Before you start serving and giving to others or even to me, you need to be walking with me in an intimate relationship, making sure your heart was right. See, Martha had something going on in her heart. There was anger, there was, you know, judgment, jealousy. Mary, on the other hand, chose to sit down at the Lord's feet and get right with him, and hear his teaching. See, one comes before the other. See, if you want to serve Jesus, and that's not really what this talk is about, but if you want to serve him well, you have to first fill your cup up with him and his spirit, and you do that by spending time with him. And then out of that full cup, you serve and give to others. So this morning, Sunday morning, comes around every seven days, And it's the biggest day where I serve the Lord and I try to serve you by giving a decent talk, hopefully. (laughs) At 5 o'clock this morning, I do what I always do. I wake up and I go to my kitchen table and I sit at the Lord's feet. This morning was no different. I was in the book of Joshua doing the one-year Bible. Just listening to what he had to say to me. And he gave me Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid because I'll be with you wherever you go. And I was journaling and I was had nothing to do with this sermon, but I was having him fill my cup up. I was listening to his voice. I was sitting at his feet so that out of a full cup, I can come out here and serve you and give. Jesus says, that's the the priority. Oftentimes, the the thing that gets in the way of the best is the good. There's a trade-off. We can't do both, right? We're going to do one or the other. And so when you realize that you have limited time, when you realize the reality of trade-offs, what happens is the highest priorities rise to the surface. You with me? Yes or no? 
And then when those highest priorities or the most important things rise to the surface, that's where you invest your time and your energy. Why? So that you can make your highest and greatest contribution. That's what this whole series is about. See, if you want to make your greatest contribution, you must declutter your life. You must declutter your life. Accept the reality of limits and accept the reality of trade-offs. If you do that, you're going to be able to focus your life. Your, your life is not going to look like this closet. You're going to get decluttered. You're going to start working on what is essential in your life. And you're going to do the good works that God has planned for you in advance to do. You know, the way I want to close out today is that, you know, finding those good works. Some of you might be thinking, well, I don't know what those good works are. How do I find those good works? Those good works are found by being in a relationship with Christ. See, the Bible says for God's, he created you in Christ Jesus for good works. How do you discover those good works? You have to know him. You have to be in relationship with him. And as you walk with him and talk with him, he begins to reveal what those things are to you. And then you execute on those things. As there's some of you here today, you're not in a relationship with Christ. So it's a struggle for you to know what those good works are. You need to take that step of faith and, and become a follower of Jesus. You say, how do I do that? Well, you place your faith in him. It's very simple. You say to Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again three days later to wash away all my sin, to make me your child. I, I want to I put my trust and confidence in you. I want to put my faith in you today. I believe you died on the cross. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. Some of you have heard me say that the last couple of weeks. Maybe you heard it last week. You've been putting it off. You say, I'm not ready to make that decision. Maybe this moment, maybe right now, is the moment where you'll take that step of faith. The way that you do it is just reach out in faith through prayer. And if you say, I've never prayed before, hey, I'll pray right now. You can use the words I'm going to say as your own words and talk to God. And ask him to forgive your sins. Ask him to be your savior. And ask him to make you his child. If you feel led to do that right now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. This very holy moment with nobody else walking around or leaving. Talk to God. Express your faith to him. Say this. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you took the penalty. You paid the price so that I could be forgiven, washed of my sin, made clean. I put my confidence in you. I put my trust in you for eternal life. I turn from a life of selfishness, doing things my way, and I surrender to your leadership in my life. I believe you not only died, but you rose again so I can have eternal life. Please reveal to me the good works that you have planned for me and help me to execute them, perform them, and fulfill them with the rest of my days. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, we have a gift for you. Emmanuel Church wants to put a Bible in your hands if you prayed to receive Christ right now or last week or the week before. There's tables back here to my right and to my left. If you're in the balcony, you can come down and grab one. It is a privilege to be able to give you one of these because 
Someone told me when I put my faith in Christ when I was 17 years old, if I would take the book, if I would take the Bible in my hands and begin reading it, that God would begin to reveal his will to me. He would begin to transform my heart. He would begin to speak to me and guide my life. That man's name was Byron Seashore. I believed him, and so I began doing it. And I've been reading the Bible ever since. And it has proven to show me what God's path is. I still have a long way to go on my journey with God, but I'm telling you what. Reading God's word every day grows my faith. Would you be courageous enough to go back there and grab one of these one-year Bibles and tell my friends back there that you prayed to receive Christ? I hope you will. It's a free gift to you. Also, starting on May 7th and 8th, we're doing something called Starting Point. It's a conversation for people who have recently put their faith in Christ. You can also sign up for that. It's a, it's a short-term, small group environment that will help you grow in your faith. Can we give God glory for what he's done today? Next week, next week, hey, before you go, before you go, before you go, next week, here's what we're going to do. We're going to push in harder on how to discover what those top priorities are, what you should be pushing in on in your life. Again, I'm not going to tell you what they are, but I'm going to give you the tools to discover that for yourself. You're not going to want to miss it. Come back next week. Bring a friend. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, before we leave, we just want to acknowledge you as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We ask for your blessing on our life, your favor upon our life. Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us the, the insight and the wisdom to apply what we heard today, Father? Would you help us so that we just don't go back to our crazy, hectic lives of saying yes to everything and going and doing and taking every opportunity without even thinking, God? It makes us ineffective. Help us to declutter our lives by accepting limitations and accepting the reality of trade-offs. Give us wisdom, and we'll give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I love you. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend.